Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 3. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, Podcast Nation. Welcome to Dose of Leadership Podcast. I am Richard Ryerson. I'm so glad to have you back here for another exciting episode. Thank you for all your support. You know, it's your support in reviewing this podcast is what's going to allow this podcast to reach and gain the, the largest audience possible. So I ask you, make sure you go to iTunes, write a review, tweet this thing, send it out on Facebook, let everybody know about those Leadership Podcasts. If you write a review, I'm going to make sure I highlight those certain uh, special uh, reviews right here directly on, on future episodes of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. So now on to the interview. Thanks. Well, I'm extremely thrilled today to have my guest, George Bratt. He's the founder and managing director of an executive onboarding group, Prime Genesis. He's provided tons of consulting assistance to companies such as Elizabeth Arden, Merrill Lynch, Music Television, and Miller Brewing. He's got a big brain on him. He's got an AB from Harvard and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He's served as an executive in sales, marketing, and general management all over the world for companies such as Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, and J.D. Power and Associates. He's also an author and a co-author of three books, and one of my favorites, The New Leader's 100-Day Action Plan, a book called Onboarding and the Total Onboarding Program. He's also got two books about parenting, which I just learned today, Back to School Chats, Advice from Fathers to Their Sons, and Back to School Chats, Advice from Mothers to Their Daughters. He's also an author of an iPad app, which I also checked out today, called New Leader Smart Tools. It's a pretty cool tool. And he writes a weekly column for Forbes, uh, the New Leaders Playbook. And I got to tell you, it's one of the most comprehensive and uh, useful leadership resources, I think, out there on the web. So, George, you're definitely a doctor of leadership. Are you ready to give us a dose today? I don't know. After that introduction, I think I should just quit right now. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I hit all the high points there from your bio, but tell us a little bit more about yourself. Why are you so passionate about leadership? I think it's been in my blood forever. And I think it, as I've been refining what's important to me and thinking about what's important to me, I, I've realized that leadership is really at bottom all about inspiring and enabling others. And if I can do that myself and help others to do that, then I can make a contribution. And, and leadership is the way that I make my contribution. Yeah, you know, I think... Um I've come around to this. I didn't realize how much I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. And when I got out and I've been in the civilian corporate sector for about 12 years now, and I noticed there is a huge vacuum of leadership, but it's central to every aspect of our lives. You've been in business, you know, way more deeper and at a such higher level than I've been. But do you see that vacuum today? Is it getting worse? Or, I mean, do you definitely see a vacuum of leadership? No, there's some gaps. But there's some very strong leaders in the world. There's some very strong leaders in the world in a lot of different areas, in business, in government, in the arts, um, in creativity. I, I wouldn't say it's a complete vacuum. Uh, you know, we, in some ways, we need more leaders because, as, as you mentioned before we actually started the recording, one of the premises of the New Leaders Playbook is that we're, 
all leaders. In fact, we're yep. all new leaders all the time. Absolutely. Getting everybody to think and act like a leader, I think, is key. You know, I used, I've asked some people sometimes when I used to give, uh, and I still do when I give presentations, and one of the first questions I ask, who considers themselves a leader? And I'll get about 30 to 40% will raise their hands, and maybe some of them think they are. They're just too embarrassed to raise their hand. But then I ask them, you know, is anybody a parent? And then, you know, 85% of them say yes. And I said, well, then we're, we all are obligated to be leaders. We all have a muscle that we're obligated to exercise. And so it's refreshing to hear you say that there's there are some great leaders out there. You're right. And that's a one part of the mission of this podcast is to highlight some of those great leaders that are out there. So one interesting thing I found about you talk about, about and I was amazed, about 40% of the executives who change jobs or get promoted fail in their first 18 months. And that's really one of your missions of your consulting group, Prime Genesis, right, is to fix that, to accelerate that, right? It is. And I mean, it was the genesis of Prime Genesis. And the thing we've worked on and over the last decade, while that rate for the general market has stayed the same, we've managed to reduce it from the 40% failure rate down to below 10%. So we're very excited about that. That's awesome. But that was, that, you know, it was seeing not so much that failure, but seeing how poorly, how poor a job some organizations did at onboarding or bringing new leaders into organizations, seeing how poor a job they did that uh, made me decide that I needed to do something in that area. What is the most critical step for the, that onboarding process? And what, is, what do you think is, is the, something that most people miss in the onboarding process? So when we talk about onboarding, when I'm talking to new leaders, as you pointed out, three, actually, there's four books. And when you get it down to, uh, to the core of it, it's three ideas. Get a head start, manage the message, and build the team. And to your question, the one that, you know, people sort of get the team, they should get it, they should, you know, dig into it a little bit deeper and pay more attention to it. They kind of get their message. And, and maybe they can do that better, but so many people forget to get a head start. So the answer to your question is the thing that most people miss is getting a head start. Yeah, and I, you know, and personally, that was one of the big takeaways I got when I took over my new position. I had about a, a three-week transition time, and it was tough because I had to, to to turn over with the old and get with the new, and I was looking for a break. But I just I caught that book in time, and and I and I think that's what helped me get off to a decent start was kind of taking some of those actions and making sure that I had a message communicating with the right people being very cognizant of who I was communicating with can you elaborate a little bit more on on that kind of transition time that you just you, you hinted to there getting a head start so what happens is in a lot of cases particularly with people coming from outside the organization the uh by the time somebody accepts a job, the organization really wanted them six months before, but the recruiting process took longer than they expected. Right. So they want this person to start tomorrow. And then the person that's going into the job has either been in a job and all of a sudden has a new job or has been looking for a job, which of course is arguably even more stressful than having a job. And so when they get their new job, their instinct is to take some time off because when they start the job, 
they're going to want to give it 110% and, and, right. and they know they're not going to see their family for months. So they want to take a vacation. And, and our argument is they're both wrong. And that what the organization should do is give the new leader a little time between accepting and starting. You know, in this country, we're talking about a couple of weeks. Of course, if you're talking in Europe, you've got gardening leave, which is months. But give them a couple of weeks and we tell the new leader to use that time to uh, you know, mostly get a plan so they know what they're doing and really to jumpstart relationships before day one, make sure they're set up and some other things. But the biggie, the two biggies are have a plan and jumpstart the relationships. That's great advice. And I think one thing I always took too, and, and I've talked with groups about making that powerful first impression, you know, the Marine Corps was maniacal, and I use that word, I don't use it lightly, they're maniacal about, you know, perception is reality, and you got to be the full package, but they were maniacal about the little things, you know, are you chewing gum, how do you come across, and they, and they ingrained in me to always think about how you're coming across. Isn't that part of your message of that powerful first impression piece? Well... Yes, and I'm hesitating. Actually, let me ask you a question. I, I'm gearing my answers to, you know, not quite sound bites, but relatively short answers. I'm happy to elaborate if you want. Am I, am I pacing this about the way you want? Oh, sure. No, you, this is a you know, free form. We can go wherever you want it to go. Okay. So, um, in terms, the reason I has in the first impression is um, it, it's less about what you say and do and how you look and much more about the connection with the other person. Yes. So the idea of coming in, you know, looking formal and, and polished may be right for one person that you're trying to connect with and it may be less right with another. And so the advice we give people is those early days, it's all about building relationships. It's all about making the connections and it's really a whole series of one-on-one -on -one connections. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, if, if you don't have that trust, it's all for naught anyway. I mean, it, Well, you're not going to have that trust. Yes, because right. trust is earned over time. Exactly. And it's not about creating instant trust, but it's about um, starting to make the connections and build the pathways that will allow you to earn trust over time. So really, it's more about being a better listener from the get. I mean, you should always be a good listener. Yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of playing with labels. Let me give you the example. Let, let us imagine, and uh, and this is your worst worst nightmare. Let's imagine that uh, I'm coming in to be your boss, which, trust me, is your worst nightmare. <laughs> and uh, and we'll make it even more interesting because you wanted the job. You thought you were ready for promotion, and uh, and they brought me in from the outside, and you don't know anything about me. And I show up day one. And I do whatever I do day one, probably hide with HR and go over my benefits and clean up my office and hang pictures or whatever. And day two, I go to a management meeting because I'm management and you're not. And day three, I come by your, your office or desk first thing in the morning and I say, listen, they, they told me great things about you. I'd love to get to know you. Let's have lunch so we can start making these connections. How, how do you feel about that? Well, already you've kind of you know, set that stage that, that, that we're separate, you know, with there, there's, there's a couple perceptions there that, you know, maybe with the office and, but I guess asking me to lunch would feel good at that time. But, but 
is your point that it's a little, you know, you're already kind of establishing yourself as a, hey, I'm the new guy and this office is important and everything else? Or, Well, let's let's do the contrast. Contrast that with, and you had a hard time answering that question. I, I, I asked, I was giving a talk in um, Peru, and I asked one lady that question, and she said, well, I hate you. <laughs> she was more clear. But, but contrast that, if you would, with the day after I'm announced, three weeks before I start, I call you up. Right. And say, listen, uh, you know, I know you heard the announcement. They, you know, I know you were one of the lead internal candidates. They've told me fantastic things about you. It, you know, it really seems like it is in your best interest, my best interest, for the organization's best interest, for us to make sure we get off on the right foot right from the start. It's so important to me that I am not prepared to wait to day one to meet you. Yeah. I will meet you anywhere in the world, anytime you want over the next three weeks. But let's spend some time together, some good time together, and get to know each other. Well, that would make me feel pretty good. It's a different conversation. Right. And, you know, it's me coming to you. It's me saying it's really important. You haven't even laid eyes on me. And, you know, you're certainly going to say yes to the conversation. And you're going to give me the benefit of a doubt. In this case, you're going to end up hating me. But at least I'm going to have a shot. Right. Well, it's, you know, and it certainly goes about, you know, when you put it in that perspective, it sounds so common sense to do that, but we really don't do it that often, do we? No, we don't, because people are focused. Well, one of the big things that, that, that we're dealing with is when, when we started this, when I got, I do things because I get mad. And when I got mad enough to say, I needed, we needed to, we needed a new way of helping people come into organizations, we didn't know what it was called. But then eventually um, we started using the word onboarding and people about a decade ago, and then people started adopting the word. And originally, after we started using the word, they thought it meant day one. And it's expanded, and people have gone from day one and orientation and paperwork and whatever to, oh, let's give somebody a list of 10 people and tell them to go meet them. And and we keep trying to expand it to to say it's really all the stages of onboarding from aligning people before before starting to recruit to the way you acquire them to accommodating their needs and assimilating them and then accelerating their progress after day one. So it's really a whole broad thing. The reason I think you know people take a narrow view and they want it to be more transactional and and focused and the answer is it's it's really a big deal and it's a it encompasses a long period of time. Well that's great. Well you're definitely you know you it was eye-opening for me reading the book and, and even just talking to you now. And one of my big pushes is just common sense leadership. And just yep. and like we said, when you put it in that context, it is so common sense, but yet we don't do it. No. I love the part two where you talk about two things, embedding a, a burning imperative. I'm a big believer in that. Make I feel like if you can make people feel like or you know, not just feel, it's got to be genuine, that they're part of something special. I don't see that enough. And then another thing I, I really like what you talk about are early wins and, and celebrate, celebrate those early wins, especially in the beginning. Can you elaborate on those? Yeah, let's talk about the burning imperative because we actually have some, some I don't know if it's new thinking, but, but given it more depth. We, uh, and I, I'm going to go a little long on this, so feel, feel free to interrupt me. Oh, feel, go ahead. One of the things that I've learned over the last, I don't know, whatever, but 
what I've come to realize is that no one will follow anyone until they've earned the right to lead. And for a long time, I've been saying, hey, it's, you know, as a leader, it's not about you, it's about your followers. And I actually think that may be too narrow as well. I think, uh, you know, while, while people certainly will follow an engaging leader, you know, you get somebody right. you like, you follow them. Uh, the magic comes when they devote themselves to the cause right. of a leader that inspires and enables them. So we've been pushing people really hard with, with really good results over the last couple of years that um, starting before day one, through day one, and through their first whatever, couple of weeks, few weeks, they really need to be converging. They need to be listening. They need to be learning. They need, they can't try to learn. They can't even try to build trust. They just need to be absorbing and listening and learning and, uh, and taking it all in. And then at some point, when it's appropriate as a leader, they can pivot and then start to lead. Right. And we've been using the burning imperative or, or imperative workshops or whatever you want to call it as that pivot point. And so, you know, forget the consultant speaker in fancy words, but it's the moment when the team comes together and co-creates, we call it an imperative, but it's really aligning around the cause, the purpose. Right. Use whatever word you want, but what are we trying to do? What's really important? What really matters? And, um, you know, one of the examples I've been citing is, and I'm going to get the name wrong. I'm so sorry about this. But, uh, Ronald, I think it's Ronald DePino, 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 uh, went into a company called MD Anderson, which is a big cancer hospital university in, uh, Houston. 18,000 people. And he went in and, and, and early on he said, listen, let, let's be really clear. If we don't, eradicate cancer on my watch during the next whatever 15 to 20 years I'm here we will have failed and and the argument is that the people working there you know maybe they're worried about their parking space or their raises or their their last performance review uh, you know maybe they like or don't like the leader but if they commit themselves to eradicating cancer it just trumps a whole bunch of petty issues. That's right. So we've been using these imperative workshops as a time to get everyone aligned, uh, you know, a, a, around the cause and not just being aware of the cause, not just understanding the cause, but really believing in it and co-creating it together. So they walk out of there all saying, this is what we're committed to. Right. And so what the leader can do is before that meeting, the leader, if the leader has any ideas, it's just his or her ideas that he or she brought in, and that's a problem because it was not invented here. But after that meeting, when you pull the team together, the leader can say, here's what we agreed at that session. And now it's our imperative, our plan, our cause. And that's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. But, 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 but I got you asked me a two part question. Yep, I'm going to give you a two part answer. Go ahead. But it's all theoretical garbage 
unless something actually happens. Yep. Which is why there has to be, you know, think back to your military background, there has to be some discipline operationalized. You have to operationalize this imperative with, you know, real plans. Yep. What's going to get done by whom, by when. And then, and I'm not the one that invented this. A, a lot of people talk about these early wins. Like Watkins talks about it. It's been around for a while. But the thought is you then pick one of those milestones and you double your effort to accelerate it. So the, it's not a big win, but a little win. But you create an early win. And the purpose of the early win is to get the team to be able to stop and say, wow, look what we did. Right. We can get this done. This is going to work. Because back to one of the earlier points, nobody's going to believe anything until it's real. So you got to make it real. You know, I work in a fairly large aircraft company, and it's all about flight test. And you talk about these these programs. I mean, they, they're, they're two-and-a-half, three-year programs. And you look at the, the end result from end to end, and it's just a huge monumental task of trying to get an airplane certified and it can be demoralizing if you don't look at the things in little chunks and say, you know, look at these little wins, look at these little wins. So I can relate totally. And it's about the cause. And I think that that is lacking in every organization that I've worked. And again, I keep going back to the Marine Corps. But one of the reasons why the Marine Corps, I think, is so successful is because they put so much emphasis on the cause and the history and where you came from. When you talk about in your consulting businesses about the embedding the burning imperative do you do you talk about looking at the history of the company and trying to remember where where the company came from is that in any part of your consulting oh yeah it's 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 critical and the people that uh that don't look at the, i mean there's been some astounding examples of of leaders particularly new leaders that came in and and tried to change an organization without respecting the history you know one of the classics is uh i show a picture and, you know, obviously hard to do over with just words, but there's a picture of a house and it turns out the house is in California and nobody knows what the house is. And then you go around, and you look at the back of the house and, uh, and there's a garage and everybody, nobody knows what the garage is. And then you open up the garage and it's, uh, the garage in which Hewlett and Packard founded their company. Wow. And, and, you know, and Hewlett Packard was a, it was two friends getting together and it was a family company. And for years, decades, it was, it was, you know, Hewlett and Packard. And there's been a string of leaders, you know, lead, with, with great strengths in different ways. But I would argue that they forgot that context. They forgot that history. They forgot some of the core values in their drive to grow the business faster. And they lost touch with, the history, the context, what really mattered to its employees, and they lost their employees and they paid the price and the company paid the price and the shareholders paid the price and arguably all their customers paid the price. So understanding the context of where you came from is a critically important piece of how you're going forward. You don't always have, and I'm not suggesting you live in the past. No. I'm just saying you understand it as context for the future. Absolutely. Knowing where those values came from, you can, yeah, I agree. Who are your leadership heroes and mentors? Yeah, I was afraid you were going to ask uh, that. And uh, I don't think I have a good answer for that. I, I think I, um, it's a whole plethora of people 
it's people leading in different ways. I I admire different people. You know, one of my heroes uh, was is certainly John Pepper. If if I look at the business side, and John Pepper was, um, he was he, Procter and Gamble, and he was CEO of Procter and Gamble, and and I tell the story of his shoes, three interactions with John Pepper. And uh, the first was I was a, a brand manager, so a, a relatively junior employee at Procter and Gamble, and I got into an elevator with with John Pepper, who at that point was in charge of all of North America. And being who he was, he asked me what I was doing, and I told him. And he was so interested, he voted with his shoes, and he got off the elevator at my floor and spent a half an hour just listening to what I was doing. And then wrote a really nice note to me and a bunch of other people saying, wow, people need to learn more about this. And it just made me feel great. Story one. Story two, um, a bunch of years later, I guess it was three or four years later, there was a meeting of Procter & Gamble's management. There were 13,000 of Procter & Gamble's managers in, a, uh, in the Cincinnati Convention Center. And they had just announced the new CEO. And it wasn't Pepper. Everybody thought Pepper was going to get it, but uh, another guy got it. And the other guy came into the meeting and uh, um, went up on stage, and, and he got you know really nice applause and very polite. And then a little later, Pepper came in to give a talk, to give a talk about North America, and he got a thirteen-minute standing ovation. No way. Yeah. Any idea how long thirteen minutes is for standing That's ovation? A it long went on. Time. It went on forever. And, you know, there were 13,000 managers wow. sending a very strong message. And again, Pepper voted with his feet because he, uh, you know, he had a gazillion offers to go off elsewhere, you know, much like the GE guys that people that don't become CEO of GE go somewhere else. Right. So Pepper had a gazillion offers, but he voted with his feet and he stayed. Wow. And eventually he became CEO and, you know, really beloved. And then a few years later, we started an organization called CEO Connection where we, uh, we help CEOs be better, do better, all sorts of things. And we, we run CEO boot camps. You wouldn't understand what a boot camp is. Uh, we run CEO boot camps. And, uh, and I, and I asked John to, John Pepper to come be one of the opening speakers. And John really didn't know who I was. I mean, I'd, I'd been at Proctor, but I was a low level person. But for the third time, he voted with his feet and said, of course. Because if I was an ex-Procter and Gamble person, I must have the Procter and Gamble values, and one of his values was supporting Procter and Gamble people. So he's been one of my heroes. Uh, the, the way he leads, the way he connects with people, the way he demonstrates his leadership. Uh, so he's a business leader, and I, I could go on and talk about others, but well, he's that was, the whole list. Those are great stories. I, what about with all the business experience? What about any leadership failures that stick out in your mind? Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. The ones that uh, so I, I guess I, I, I come to this fundamental belief that belief that that uh, leadership is about inspiring and enabling others to do their absolute best together to realize a meaningful and rewarding shared purpose. Two of the key words are inspire. The verbs are inspire and enable. And the leadership failures that just really drive me crazy 
um, a little bit's about the non-inspiring. You know, when you get the non-inspiring leaders that that think, you know, the mission of the company is to maximize shareholder value and and they're just, you know, maybe pushing for the wrong thing. That's that's not good, but it's not bad. The leadership failures that have just really irked me are the ones where people don't understand that it's about an enabling others, where they actually become disablers and do things that make it impossible for others to lead. And, uh, you know, we, we, we saw that at Procter & Gamble, the guy, you know, some of the people that, you know, had the CEO job that didn't do well, they ended up thinking that it was about themselves and that they knew the answers and and they got lost. I mean, if you look at the ones in the press and, you know, there's this whole range, they got lost. I mean, it, you know, it is, we're, we're recording this on uh, on January 18th. Between the two airings of uh, Oprah Winfrey's interviews with Lance Armstrong, who was uh, was one of my heroes, and we're watching a hero fall. You know, for people listening to this, if, if they don't know the story, turns out he was using drugs and pushing other people. And and the interviews are interesting because, in my mind, it's a complete failure of leadership. Yeah, he was a great athlete, but he was also the team leader. I, I used to tell, I used to ask people, uh, you know, can you tell me who won the Tour de France seven years in a row? And eventually they'd say Lance Armstrong, and I'd say, and who else? And they couldn't figure it out, and the answer was his team. He, he didn't he didn't win those races without his team. He used to think the team was, and of course the team was more than just the guys on the bikes. It was the people doing logistics. It was the, the, the sponsors, the fundraisers, the managers. Turns out I was also the drug dealers, but uh, didn't know that at the time. But it's a failure of leadership because he was, you know, it was the hubris and it was the belief that, uh, you know, all that mattered was winning and him. And instead of enabling his team, he bullied his team. Instead of enabling people, he bullied them. And everybody that put their trust in him at this point is just looking at this and going, looking at the interviews going, you still don't get it. You know, the thing I found amazing about the whole Lance Armstrong thing is, you know, looking even as fresh as before this interview, a lot of discussion on Facebook and Twitter and a lot of people defending him, you know, talking about, well, look at all the good that he did. Look at how much he helped out on cancer research. And yet all those things are good. But if you don't have um, a rock solid bed of character to back it up, it really is worthless because you know, you can't just ha say pennant things um, or good deeds allow you to look at a flaw in a character. And um, I don't know, it just seems like they, they really just don't get it. They don't get it. No, the, the great leaders understand that it's about them in pursuit of a cause. You know, my cause, you've alluded to, my cause is this onboarding stuff. I've you know, I sort of got got mad 15 years ago, and I've certainly spent the last decade totally focused on it. And the reason I focus on it, what drives me is that onboarding, going to a new job, is one of the crucibles of leadership. It's a defining moment for a lot of people. It's you know, the way you go into the job, 
determines your own success, the way you go into the job impacts all these other people. So it's a crucible of leadership for the leader going in and for all those around him or her, his or her boss, his or her peers, people working for him. And so by focusing on that, 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 that leadership moment, uh, A, we've, as, as you asked or pointed out early on, we've managed to reduce the failure from 40% to below 10%. That's really good. But the other thing we've done, is we've managed to use it as a, a teachable moment and make it so that almost everybody we touch is better off for having gone through the experience. The experience is better. They're better off for going through the experience and they're better off over time. So it's a moment where we can make a huge contribution and a huge impact. And that's why we focus on it. What about any new advice that you would have to any up and coming leaders, you know, you, you work with a lot of, you know, executives doing the onboarding process, but what about those up and comers, those young middle managers, those people thrust into the new leadership role? What advice would you have for them? You know, I do, I do think it, it's this, it's back to the old total quality stuff of, um, you know, plan, do, check, act. It, it's, and, and I accepting my bias. The advice is, okay, leadership is about inspiring and enabling others in, in you know, pursuit of this, this purpose or this cause. So figure out your cause. Figure out what really matters to you and surround yourself with people to whom that cause matters as well. Focus on inspiring and enabling them. And then as you go into almost any situation, find a way to get a head start. Carve out, even if it's just a half a step where you can just stop and think, and figure out what we're going to do and prepare in advance. So, so get a head start. The second thing is this managing your message because everything communicates, everything you do, everything you don't do, everything you say, everything you don't say, everything communicates. And, uh, you know, you're going to get positioned and repositioned and mispositioned if you don't manage it. So manage the communication, find the amplifiers, preserve, persevere in that communication. And then, the last one is the, the one of the fundamental differences between being a sole contributor and being a leader is the only thing a leader can do all by himself or herself is fail. And we talked about some of the leadership failures, but leadership by definition is about leading the team. So think about the team. Think about get a head start with the team, manage the message with the team, but think about how to inspire and enable the team. Well, George, as we round this up, I want to uh, make sure that we uh, that you could highlight how can we find you. Where where are you out on the web? Oh, I'm 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 ridiculously findable, partially because I have a last name that's not like anybody else's. But uh, I, I am findable. Uh, I'm findable on Forbes, and I'm findable at PrimeGenesis.com. I'm probably findable just by googling George Bratt. And you know, the the way I think about my life is I think about how Every day I think about how I can contribute to individuals. So welcome individuals that are that I can help. Think about how I contribute to knowledge. That would be my books and my articles on Forbes and think about how I can contribute to joy. Well, George, it's been a true pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again. Thanks very much. My pleasure. 
Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.